Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. We're finishing up a series we've been doing called You Belong Here. And today I want to tell you this, you belong to a New Testament church. And I'm going to take some time to define what I mean, but you belong to a New Testament church. You know, the Chicago Tribune carried this story back in 2002. It said at this time, so it's a dated story, but it says, you probably know Ted Giannulis, even if you've never heard his name. He was the San Diego chicken for 30 years. This is in pro football. But Ted was getting older. In 2002, he was 50. And being the chicken, the San Diego chicken, had been his whole life and his whole identity. His face was never photographed unless he was in that costume. No one knows the real Ted. He has no family. At first, he loved his alter ego. He said this. He said, I discovered an untapped personality within that suit. He said, it was like, now I have freedom. Now I'm no longer Ted, I'm the chicken. (laughs) Something about that is just not right, right? But there is a price to pay. Dave Raymond, who for years wore the costume of the Philly fanatic, said this, Ted was the first and the funniest, and I have nothing but respect for him. But if you're not careful, you can lose yourself in that suit. Ted himself says, I have plenty of chicken stories. I'm afraid I don't have any Ted stories. Many people live life being someone God didn't create them to be. They lose themselves in other things instead of finding their identity in Jesus Christ. Amen? And I want to start today by telling you the interesting thing is is that churches too can lose their identity if they don't continually remind themselves of who they are and where they've come from. Churches have identity crises like people do, and many of us have learned to wear a mask. Many of us have learned to put on a suit. Many of us even, you know, I have to say that probably the worst place you can go if you want to be a suit wearer and a mask wearer is church, because there's no place better to hide yourself in your true identity, right? Because we've learned, we've been conditioned that when you walk through those doors, you put on that alter ego. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How you doing, brother? Glory to God. We immediately shift into a foreign language called Christianese. And we begin to speak and act like a different person, an alter ego, right? And many of us lose our identity. And what I want to talk about today is regaining our identity in Jesus Christ as a church. And not that we've lost it, but just to remind us. See, we continually need to be reminded We need to know where we came from to see where we're going, right? GHC has a history and an identity that God has given us. Like people, we have a certain personality, we have a certain character and a certain culture. 
Sometimes people will walk through these doors and they'll say, you know, I used to go to this church and we did it this way and we did this and that and they, th- that's their context and they compare. And I understand that. That's, that's human nature where God has impacted us and touched us and, and done a spiritual work in our life. Our tendency is to compare back to that. But I'll often tell people, I say, you know, just stop there for a minute. That's great. I don't want to take anything away from your experience and where you were and what you're a part of, but that's not us. That's not us. We're not that church. We're never going to be that church. Our leaders are different. Our congregation is different. The people who make up our leadership team are different. We're never going to be that place that you came from, right? We're us. And I want to tell you a little bit about who us is. You know, people that come through these doors experience something. They experience something of who they are. They might not be able to put a finger on it, but when you come to Grace Harvest Church, like any church you go to, there's a flavor there's something in the air, right? Hopefully it's not a bad smell, right? There's something in the air. There's an atmosphere from the moment you walk through the doors or pull up in the, in the parking lot. It's not a very impressive building at all. I mean, if you're coming to Grace Harvest Church for the building, you're amazing. <laughs> because the building isn't the church, the church are the people. And what really defines us is you, you and me, us. We define this. We define the culture of Grace Harvest Church, and I want to put my finger on five things today that talk about who we are, and I want to tell you that if you're new or you're checking us out, maybe this is a a church checkout, you know, we go church shopping, like we go food shopping, like we go clothes shopping, right, We, we kind of go around, go from place to place, get the best deals, if you're checking us out today, um, I just want to tell you, you're going to learn a little bit about us, but I also want to tell you, don't be a consumer, don't be a consumer Christian, go where God puts you. Not just where you like it and it feels cool and comfortable. Go where God speaks to you, where God meets you, where you're encountered by God. Amen? So the first thing is this. You belong to a presence-seeking church. And when I talk about presence, I mean the presence of God. See, we believe God's alive. We believe God is real. God is knowable. God can be experienced. God can be felt, encountered and talk to. And, this one will really freak you out, God can talk to you. I know that seems a little weird. I heard Lily Tomlin, she was a comedian years and years ago, she said, you know, it's great if you say you talk to God, nobody cares, but the second you start saying that God talks to you, people want to put a white jacket on you and put you in a padded room. And I I thought that's hilarious and true. But God will talk to you. He's knowable. Look at what Acts 3.19 says. This is at the end of a sermon that Peter had preached. And he's telling the people that are present at the end of that sermon how they can come to God. And he says, now repent of your sins. And, and by the way, repent isn't a weird like word where, you know, repent. You know, it's not a word of anger. Okay, I want you to know that repent is a word that simply means turn away from where you were going, your sin, and, and think differently and turn to God. That's all it means, right? So he says, repent, therefore, of your sins and turn to God so your sins may be wiped away. And then look at this. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You see, one of the things, the reasons that we worship like we do, we sing like we do, we do the things we do, is because we understand something. God will come when He meets a people who are hungry. And if you're seekers of His presence, there'll be times of refreshment 
from that presence. It, it just happened today. Uh, Gary Ash was telling me just a moment ago, Gary, wave your hand. He was saying, Doug, when I came in here this morning, it was like, I'm going to say your words right, it was like a cloud. I felt like a cloud of heaviness. And then we began to worship, we began to sing, and, and we began to get into the service, and he says it just went and lifted. And I experienced that personally. I told you earlier, I came in here this morning with some things kind of I'm struggling with a little bit, and worship happened. Even physically, just wiped out, tired, not sleeping good last night, several late nights, early mornings, battling with a little bug in my system and came in here just kind of, uh, you know, tail between my legs and got into the presence of God and wow, times of refreshment from the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Psalm 27, 4 and 8, look at what Psalm 27, 4 and 8 says, says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face do I seek. Now, if you know the Bible, both Hebrew and Greek, uh, Hebrew is almost all of the Old Testament, the original language it was written in, other than some, some Aramaic and some, um, yeah, some Aramaic. Uh, the Old Testament word for face is presence. And the New Testament Greek word for face is present. So when it says here, when you said, seek my face, you could also translate it when you said, seek my presence, my heart says to you, your presence, Lord, I will seek. So we want to be a church that actually experiences the living God. And when we gather together, we expect Him to be here. And when we go about our day-to-day life, we expect Him to be there. And when we work our jobs, we expect Him to be present. And when we take care of our children, we expect Him to be present. And when we pay our bills, we expect Him to be present so we don't yell and scream and throw something across the room, right? Secondly, you belong to a Scripture-following church, a Scripture-following church. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired by God, that means breathed out of God, and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when He comes to set up His kingdom, preach the Word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. In other words, no matter what the culture is saying or doing, no matter what it, how it even views the Bible, you keep preaching the Word. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Um, if you come here, you're not just going to get a motivational speech. If you come here, you're not just going to get a pat on the back. If you come here, you're not going to get something out of Reader's Digest. You're going to be taught the Bible. We're going to preach the Word of God because we understand something about the Scripture. The Scripture itself is powerful enough to change a life. You know, even if the messenger isn't very good at communicating it, if you read the Bible, if you just get up and read the Bible to people and you do it with conviction, there is enough power in those words. Those words contain enough of the life of God, the Spirit of God, for the Bible says about itself, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul from spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us that it's alive and it goes into us and it does a work inside of us. 
So we're a Scripture-following church. We, we want to do what the Scripture says. We're trying our best. Now listen, I understand something. Listen carefully. I know there's a lot of different interpretations about certain things. I get that. There's a lot of debate in the body of Christ. But on those things that are essential, the church through all the ages has agreed. On those things that are central to who we are as believers, Christians everywhere, I keep tripping over these new shoes, <laughs> believe the same things and love God according to the Scripture. There are things out here on the periphery that we debate about, and I get that, and we need to debate about them, but there are some things that are unchangeable and sure, and they can be stood upon and believed. And I'm going to tell you, if you just chase trends, and if you go with what's cool, and you just listen to the skeptics and the doubters, your life is going to be pulled here, there, and everywhere, and you're going to constantly be shaking, and you're never going to find a root system. But the Scripture gives us a root system we can trust. Thirdly, you belong to an expressive worship church. An expressive worship church. I started the service with this text, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and that word brothers means brothers and sisters, okay? By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, when we gather and every day of our life, even while we're sleeping and when we wake in the morning, our, our call is to give God our bodies. I guess you could say God wants your body. He does. He wants your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. And that body was made by God to worship Him, made by God to give to Him. And, and the body is to be used. All of its faculties are to be used for the worship of God. All of your body, every part of your body, even the hidden covered places are to, glory, to give glory and honor to God. I know a lot of us don't think that way. We like to think, you know, sacred versus secular. We, we like to divide our world up into, you know, church and spiritual things, but then everything outside of the church and spiritual things, so reading the Bible, prayer, church, everything over here is God's in that, but everything outside of there, our work, our sex life, our money, what we watch, what we listen to, where we go, what we do, that's all outside of God's authority and God's cover. But the Scripture actually teaches that the two are one. And that God's in everything we do and all we are, and these bodies belong to Him. Do you know the Scripture teaches your bodies were purchased by the blood of Jesus? So a lot of times we're like, I'm my own person. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, your body belongs to Jesus. It's been purchased, and it's to glorify Him. Body worship is spiritual worship. Okay, what you do with this body, it's spiritual worship. And um, I, I want to share something with you that really profoundly impacted me this last week of the conference, and Drew confirmed that I should do it, but one of the speakers was a guy named Steve Merle, and Steve Merle began to talk about worship in our churches, and he, he, he shared the idea of what he called, um, uh, he, he shared about a philosopher, many of you will know who this philosopher is, but a famous 19th century Christian philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard wrote a number of amazing works and a profound thinker, loved Jesus. But he, he talked about the concept of what he called the theater of worship. Now, I don't want to make worship about a show, so that's not the point. But his point was, is worship uh, is like a theater. 
And we, when we think of a theater, we come into a church building, and right now many of you think like the platform up here where I'm speaking and the music team is, this is the platform, these are the performers, and you're the audience. But actually what Soren Kierkegaard and the Bible teaches is this, that wherever people of God are gathered, that's the circle of God's presence, right? And this gathering here is the theater of worship. So everything in from the time that you got on this property, you're in a theater of worship. And me and everybody up here and all of you are the performers. Now, not performers like, you know, we're going to impress one another. No, because we're not performing for you or each other. We're performing for an audience of one. And the audience of one is God. So when we walk in this door, we're not like, man, and this is the way we think. This is consumerism at work. Man, I hope the worship team's on it today. I hope Drew's got a good set. I'm pretty down. I hope that worship team lifts me, right? And we think that way. Man, I hope worship is good. And we'll even, as critics sometimes, we'll leave the service and we'll be like, yeah, you know, worship was a little weird today. And Doug was really off. What was going on today, right? And we'll, we'll kind of approach gathering in the church like that. And that's, that's the, the word of consumerism at work. We're, we're coming as critics to judge and decide whether or not we'll purchase that thing, whether or not that thing meets our need, right? But actually what the Scripture teaches is that all of us are the performers to an audience of one. And God is like, you know, listening for your voice, He's looking at your heart, and he's, he's, he's like, what are you going to bring to me today? And what we say is, a living sacrifice body. Here it is, Lord, it's yours. Amen? Now, one of the things that we see in the Bible is that worship and praise in the New Testament church was according to the book of Psalms. I don't know if you realize this, but New Testament Christians, when they wanted to know how to pray and they wanted to know how to worship, they looked to the Psalms. And as they looked to the Psalms, they found a number of things to be true. The Bible showed them how to sing and pray and worship God. And here are some of the things the Bible taught them. First of all, Psalm 100, verses 1 through 2, says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Now, isn't, doesn't the body have to do all those things? When's the last time you shouted out to God? I know some of you think that's weird. I didn't grow up in that kind of a church. Listen, I'm not asking you your church background. I'm asking you, what does the Scripture teach us as the pattern for how we worship God? The Psalms right here tell us, shout to the Lord. Amen. Or here's one, come everyone and clap your hands for joy. Shout to God with joyful praise. How about Psalm 134 too? Lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Maybe some of you came and you've never been to a church like this or you're not comfortable with expressions like this. And you're like, why do people do that? That's kind of weird. Why do people lift their hands? Because the scripture tells us to lift our hands. Because this is what Hebrews, these are what Jews were saying when they lifted their hands. They were saying, all I am and all I have is yours. And I come and I lift my hands and I, I bring myself, but my hands, they're empty, so you'll fill 
and so I can give back to you. It's a sign of surrender, of giving to God, right? And so we lift hands and we bless the Lord. Psalm 63, 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. You know, Jesus lifted his hands when he prayed. He lifted his hands. When the Bible says he gave thanks, we know Hebrews always lifted their hands when they gave thanks. And if they had bread in their hands, they lifted the bread. They broke it. See, when Jesus broke the bread and gave it to the disciples, he would have taken it and lifted it. This is how Jews pray. He would have broke it and he would have offered thanks to God. And then he would have handed it to them. So that's why we lift our hands. We lift our hands to worship. Um, Psalm 150, verse 4, praise him with tambourine and dancing. When's the last time you cut a rug for Jesus? Right? Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. The modern equivalent of a harp is a guitar. Josh is up here this morning. Where are you at, Josh? Josh is up here this morning. He's on his harp, man. He's shredding. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for Josh and his skillful shredding. And, and Drew's up here strumming, right? I mean, come on. Number four, you belong to a Holy Spirit welcoming church. A Holy Spirit welcoming church. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, very familiar text about the day of Pentecost and the beginning of, of the church, the New Testament church. Verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, kind of like us. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you're asking, is this one of those weird tongue-talking churches? Yes. Unashamedly. Now, we, we're not weird about it. You know, you're, you're not going to... Most of the time, at least, you're not going to have to worry that somebody's just going to suddenly run up front, grab a microphone, and start talking at you in tongues. You're not going to have to worry about that. But God has given us a gift that's a prayer language, and it edifies us and strengthens us in our walk, and it also helps us in our worship. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, when He fills us, something happens. Look at Acts 4.31. It says, and, they had, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So being filled with the Holy Spirit, being a Holy Spirit welcoming church is very, very important to us. We try to make space and room. But listen, a lot of people want all of that to happen on Sunday, but here's my challenge to you. There's too many people here for everything to happen that we'd like to see happen. Right? Because there's so many people who feel like they have something, and we'd be here all day long. So we need to recognize something. God wants His Spirit to be welcomed in our lives personally, and whenever, whenever we gather with our family or we're out in the marketplace or we're in the community, we're to be a Spirit-filled people who pour out to people with acts of compassion and love and prayer and care. It says in the Scripture, Jesus was moved with compassion and He healed them. So really... If we're going to be a Holy Spirit church, it's not just going to be a Holy Spirit welcoming church. It's not just going to be when we gather together on Sunday. It's to be when we go out there everywhere into our community. But that's the kind of church we are. We believe in those things. Now, maybe you're not sure about that stuff and you're like, whoa, that's weird. But can I, can I just challenge you? Most people are afraid of what they don't understand. If you think about it, fear is the result of ignorance. So instead of being ignorant and afraid... Why not do some homework and go study the Scripture? 
dig into the Bible and find out what it has to say, and you'll find that with knowledge comes confidence and trust. So go look in the Scripture and study it. Amen? And lastly, we, you belong to a people-reaching church. A people-reaching church. Again, very familiar text. This is what Christians through all the ages have called the Great Commission. This is when Jesus sent His disciples. And even though He sent a specific group, we learn later in the Bible that He sends all of us in the same way. So this text, it was written to a certain people, but it's written for all believers. The Great Commission is what sends us. And when I talk about sending, you know, I'm going to Africa in eight days, and a lot of us, when we think of sending, we think, you know, going to the ends of the earth, going across the globe. But actually what the Bible teaches is that all of us are sent. We're sent into our worlds. In fact, one, uh, I'm going to read this text in a moment, but where it says, go therefore, one Greek scholar made the point that the way that the sentence is constructed, it could actually be interpreted as you go. So as you go into your day-to-day life, as you go to your job, as you go to your family, as you go to the store, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That means a learner, a student, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that that text ends with the promise that as we go, we can count on the personal presence of God to be with us. Jesus said, as you go, I'm with you. Isn't that encouraging? A lot of times we get intimidated. You know, we, we go to talk to a neighbor or a friend and we feel like, I don't have the right answers. I don't know what to say. We want to share Christ with them and we don't know what to do. And we just need to stop right there and remind ourselves, oh yeah, you said you'd be with me. So Jesus, I'm going to count on you to give me the words. And maybe I'm not supposed to say anything. Maybe I'm just supposed to listen and ask questions. And as I listen and ask questions, they're going to tell me about their life, and we're going to come to a need, and they're going to share a crisis or a struggle they're going through, and then I can just simply say, can I pray for you? And you can reach over and put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them, and you can pray, Lord, let your presence come. And then they'll encounter my first point, we're a presence-seeking church. They'll encounter the presence of God through you, and something will begin to change in their life. Is this speaking to anybody? You see, we're called, by the way, this word nations, and I've preached on this many times, but this word nations, uh, I, I don't like that word, and I'll tell you why, because when we think of nations, we think in the modern context of bordered states, but the word nations is the Greek word ethnos, and it means ethnicities. So this is actually what Jesus was saying, go and make disciples of all the different ethnicities of the world. Whoa, that kind of changes it, doesn't it? What does that tell us? Right here in Moses Lake, right here in this room, we have many ethnos. Right here in the city of Moses Lake are ethnic groups, and Jesus has called us as a church to reach out to people of every ethnicity because we don't want to be a white church. Can I get an amen from somebody? I, I, I really believe that God's heart was never to have black churches, white churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches, where it's possible. I, I know some cultures, you, we, we don't have a choice in it, but where it's possible, I believe the heart of Jesus is that we have ethnic churches made up of many different kinds of people expressing what 
heaven is going to be like, right? And that's beautiful. I mean, I happen to know right here in this room are multiple ethnicities. And that's beautiful to me, and it's beautiful to Jesus, and it pleases Him. So we're called to go to every ethnic group with the good news of Jesus, and we have to remember that when we gather, it's to go. See, we're not just about having good meetings. A lot of people think that Christianity is about good meetings, revival meetings. They think, you know, good worship, Holy Ghost movement, as they would say. But Christianity is not a meeting-oriented, I'm not going to say religion, faith. The purpose of meetings is for us to focus on the King, love Him, worship Him, be filled by Him, get our marching orders, as it were, and then to go into our worlds and bring the good news and the presence of Jesus Christ to people everywhere we go. That is what we're created and called to do. So we gather to go. We gather to go. Can I say it again? We gather to go. Would you say it with me? We gather to go. Some of you are like, that's corny. It's okay. Do it anyway. We gather to go. That's why. We're going. You're going to leave here in a few minutes, and you're going to go into your world, and you're probably going to come across somebody who you don't even realize it. They need Jesus Christ. They need to know their love. They need to know they're cared for. So you're going to go in His name and represent Him. Amen?